0: The service you are watching was previously recorded on July 3rd, 2016. Thank you for joining us in worship today. We will return to live broadcast on August 7th, 2016. Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to Scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together.
1: Our first lesson today comes from Second Kings. In chapter 5, beginning with the first verse, listen now to the Word of God. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though, a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now, the Aramaeans on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And so Naaman went in and told his lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life? that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. And so Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfar? The rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel. Could I not wash in them and be clean? And he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, "Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was, "Wash and be clean." And so he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean." And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
0: I invite you to stand that we might hear a reading from Scripture. From the book of Galatians, Paul wrote in the sixth chapter, My friends, if anyone is detected in transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such one with a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must work to test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbors, will become a cause for pride, for all must carry their own loads." Those who are taught the Word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap what you sow. If you sow to your flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have the opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. See what large letters I make I am writing in my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Even the circumcised do not themselves obey the law but they want to be the circumcised so they may boast in your flesh. May I never boast of anything except the cross of Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything. Let a new creation is everything. As, the, as for those who will follow this rule, peace be upon you and mercy upon the God of Israel. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Do you know a public figure who is rich, one who has all sorts of servants and assistants that fawn over him, one who can command the leader of his nation to do strange and outrageous things. Do you know anyone like that? I'm thinking of the general Naaman. I don't know who you might be thinking of, but I'm thinking of the general Naaman described in the second chapter of Kings. He was a general of the king of Aram, which is what we would know of as Syria today. He had brought his king many riches, and he had brought his king, one slave girl, who was in the way of those days part of the spoils of war, captivating people and bringing them in for labor. But Naaman's skill and his luck as a warrior, his riches and his reputation, did not make him immune from disease, a deadly disease of his day, leprosy. There is still a disease in our own day that is referred to as leprosy. The proper name for it is Hansen's disease. It was named that for a German scientist from the late 1800s who identified the bacteria that causes this malady. But scholars debate if this Hansen's disease that we know of as leprosy today is the same as from Bible times, but it really doesn't matter. That much in this situation. Leprosy is mentioned 63 times in the Bible. It is a disease that is identified in Leviticus chapter 13. It is a scarring, debilitating disease. It causes depressions on the skins and scabs on the skins, and, and it creates ugliness, and it was feared greatly. Part of the diagnosis required that you go to the priest who would then classify you if you had this disease and the treatment was you would be banished you would be set out apart away it was an awful disease an awful event in a person's life even if you were as powerful and as rich as a general but the general learned from this young girl who had Been captured and had been brought against her will to a foreign land, he learned that there was a prophet named Elijah in her native land. And if he returned there, he might be healed by this prophet. And so this general went to his king, and his king prepared an entourage to go to the king of Israel to say, Heal my general. He is an important person, and I need him. And loaded him up with all sorts of silver and gold and fancy doodads to take as an offering. The message translation reads that there were 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold and 10 sets of clothes. I did a little calculation on Friday. And if it's anywhere near right, that would have been something like $240,000 in silver and $3,216,000 in gold plus all of the designer clothes. That's a pretty good chunk of change. And by that, he was to buy his entrance into Israel and to make his way to this prophet so the general goes to the king, but the king of Israel is a little bit miffed. What is he to do? Yet the word gets to the prophet, and he says, send him on. And so the general goes to visit with his visit with the prophet. But you would think that a general who had commanded so much wealth and commanded so much notoriety and commanded so much power would get a little better treatment for the prophet. Did you listen and hear? When he showed up, the prophet stayed inside, and he sent a messenger out. And the messenger said, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go and wash in the Jordan River seven times. That's it. No big hullabaloo, no big show. Just go and wash, and you will be healed. The general was miffed. He's an A-lister from the king of Syria. But those who were around him said, General, listen, you know this isn't very hard. It's really pretty easy. It's just like going to the staple store, you know. Find the easy button. Press it. It's easy. If it doesn't work, what have you lost? But if it does, what have you gained? What have you gained? So the general went to the river and was washed, and he was healed. It was so simple. It was so easy. Punch the button. There we are. Naaman, this powerful general of the army of Aram, this victor for Syria and Damascus, in this encounter, he learned a lesson in humility. Someone that he had placed in bondage gave him the key to escape the disease of his own body. The ones who handled his prickly temperament Guided him to accept a resolution that did not require bravado. In so doing, Naaman demonstrated his character and his leadership. There are lots of qualities that leaders are attributed with having. Forbes Magazine has produced a list of ten qualities that make a great leader. After all, they have ten, the top ten list of so many other things for successful leaders. But ten qualities that make a great leader. And the list is commendable. Honesty, delegate, communicate, confidence, commitment, a positive attitude, creativity, intuition, inspiration, approach, All of those speak well, but humility is not on that list. Now, you could argue it's in between the lines. You could find it there. But it's not in the headlines, and so often it is not. But I found in another magazine for business leaders, one called Fast Company, a magazine for entrepreneurs, I found an intriguing article headlined Six Ways Humility Make You a Better Leader. And this is their list. Be open to others' opinions. Tend to others' needs. Admit mistakes. Accept ambiguity. Self-reflect. And let other people do their jobs. You could argue that Naaman was open to the opinions of others. He accepted ambiguity. He let other people do their jobs, and even though it's not said exactly this way, you could argue he admitted he made a mistake. The list that the Fast Company article references comes from the research of a man named Rob Nielsen. And Nielsen says that when bosses exhibit those kind of behaviors, where they let other people express their opinions, where they admit their mistakes, where they're open to ambiguity, where they let other people do their jobs, when bosses do that, then in the word of the employment uh, guru, you have better employment engagement and job performance. In other words, leadership is a quality, humility is a quality of leadership that can be measured. And when we are humble, or as Naaman was, when we are humbled, we may find a way forward. We may find a way to something that we didn't expect. Paul's letter to the Galatians is full of all sorts of wisdom. Last week, we explored how the gifts of the Spirit might be found and developed. This week, there is a powerful injunction to bear one another's burdens and in this way to fulfill the law of Christ. But what is the law of Christ? The Mosaic law from the Torah, the which we often think of as the Ten Commandments from the first five books of the Bible, describes a code of living. We are to honor God. We are to provide a good social order. And the law also allows us to measure our progress in that way. When Jesus was asked to summarize the law, the greatest commandment, He said, According to Matthew, his reference was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. In Luke's gospel, when Jesus is asked to affirm the greatest commandment, he cites this. And then someone says, well, Jesus… You say we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Who is our neighbor? And Jesus offers the story, the parable of the good Samaritan. And when he gets through with that, Jesus asks those who have gathered around him, who was the neighbor in that story? And the reply came, the one who showed mercy. For Christians, we could say that the law of love The law of loving God and of loving neighbor trumps everything else. It's not that the Mosaic law is unimportant or to be ignored. It is not. It's that this law of love is dynamic and encapsulates and holds up and consumes all of the other aspects of law. This law of love requires that we engage it with humility and with honor. When Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, the church was not very large. In fact, probably only a few thousand, if that, adherents around the world at that time. And there was no even membership, as we think of it, where you come to the session and say, I want to be a member of the church. There was no membership in the church. It was simply a collection of followers, yet... There is a concentric circle that expands out from that very beginning. The implication of those words: bear one another burdens, fulfill the law of Christ. Live in love." As the late Reverend Linda Hollis, a United Methodist pastor in Michigan, puts it, "All the people that the temple leaders felt were beneath them were inferior to them, were insignificant were the ones that Jesus reached out to. He offered them healing and hope, health. It made no difference to Jesus what their color was or their gender, their race or class. He helped whoever had a need. He came for the good of us all, and He came to establish the church. So, Reverend Hollis went on to say, the Galatians passage Says that we are to do good to all, but especially to those of the family of faith. Ouch. She goes on to explain that she had some conflict with some of folks in her own church setting. That's why she said, Ouch. We're to do good not just to other people outside, but we're to do good to those people we know. We are to Love and help carry their burdens and help them carry their burdens. But we need to realize that we need to bear the burdens for folks that we know and with whom we have disagreements in a very personal way and not just some cosmic greater way. This past week, the General Assembly of our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in the USA, met in Portland, Oregon. There's a summary of its actions that are in your, in your bulletins today. For those watching on television or on, uh, by way of the Internet, you may contact the church office and we'll be happy to provide that same insert for you. There are some things that may not seem very newsworthy to you on that list. There are other things that may seem strange or even challenging. And then there are those things with which you may find yourself in agreement It's not a matter of who won or who lost. It's a matter of living out this law of love with humility. We bear one another's burdens. We make our way together in the world. But it's not simply those gatherings that are far away that we pay attention to. It's also the people here in this room and to whom we are connected in this community. We are connected to each other. And we bear each other's burdens not as simply good words, but by living out our efforts. In this congregation, we know what it is to be in conflict. We know what it is to have challenges. How do we then walk together bearing each other's burdens as disciples of Christ. I would submit to you that part of that answer, an incredibly important part of that answer, is that we do it with humility and we do it with a good spirit. We bear each other's burdens does not mean letting them do as they will to you or to me or to us. Or for that matter, It does not mean letting us do to them whatever we would want to do. It is a matter of working for the good of all, with humility and in love. This week, I received an email from a friend. She discovered a number of months ago that she had cancer stage four lung cancer, which is serious stuff. But her motto has always been, from that very first moment to now, stage four to no more. And the email that came this week was written for the first time by her husband, who said that there had been some setbacks in the treatment plan. He titled it, Attack on the Left Flank. Now, She is in the hospital. She is receiving treatment. And she had some requests for her friends who would be reading this. She expressed her thanksgiving for all that had been done for her, and she asked for continuing prayers. But she also said, as much as I want to see you now, I do not have the strength to do it. Let me marshal my strength so that I may continue this fight. She encouraged people to continue to communicate with her, but only through her blog, not to send communications to their phone or to their email because they were being swamped by so much goodwill and love. She said, we have enough food. Please, Thank you, but wait a little longer. When it is time, I will tell you when we can visit and when you can bring more food. The post concludes, we have been attacked on our left flank unexpectedly, but we have an army of angels in you, all that God has provided to help us fight. I think my friend's post conveys the Spirit from the words of, from Galatians. Do not be deceived. Do not be mocked, for God is not mocked. You reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit." So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for the family of faith. If we can do that, the rest will be easy. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.